Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Bit Effect. Today, we are talking about God's gift to video games, otherwise known as Darkest Dungeon. So why don't you, I guess, gear up, uh, bring a leper with you, and head on into the dungeon? Craig, could you kindly open the door for these people? Ah, oh, excellent sound work. That's the kind of professional things you can expect on the other end of this music. I just introduced him, but just in case you missed it, with me to discuss Dark Dungeon is my good friend Craig. Yo, Craig in the house. Oh no, I'm not gonna do that. Hi. <laughs> that's that's really appropriate for Darkest Dungeon. I know, I know. You know who's not in the house, Craig? Is Mike. I know. So uh, Mike decided to dip out of this because, well, he just didn't want to play it. Uh, we then since beat him with a sack of Valencia oranges, mm -hmm. and then he just was in no shape to play it. So he's gonna skip out on this one, and he's gonna be back in the next one. Um, this is something me and Craig have spent like the last hour, hour and a half off of Mike uh -huh. talking about. Uh, and I want to put this up front. Uh, a couple of things, actually. So number one, uh, this isn't going to follow our usual format of mechanics in episode one and then story stuff in episode two. If you want the story of Darkest Dungeon, go read Rats in the Walls. That's really about it. Uh, number two... We're really excited to do this, and we're really nervous that we're not going to do the game justice. So, uh, right up front here, Craig, do you recommend that whoever is listening to this go play Darkest Dungeon? Yeah, I would recommend going and playing Darkest Dungeon over listening to us, 100%. Like, even if it meant just never listening to us again, I would urge you to go and play Darkest Dungeon. It's the bomb. Oh. Absolutely. Even if you have to leave your wife and child on the side of the road to rush home and play Darkest Dungeon, you're probably going to come out even in the end. Uh, yeah, so so we're, we're kind of nervous about doing this because we want to make sure we do it justice. So if we just have uh, verbal diarrhea about this game, uh, that, that would be why. But back to standard. Craig, give us the stats on this glorious thing. Uh, okie dokie. So Darkest Dungeon... Developed by Red Hook Studios and published by Red Hook Studios. It was directed by a lovely, lovely man called Chris Burasa, which I love your name, Chris, if you're listening. It's amazing. <laughs> it's beautiful. So it was released on um, Windows, OS X, blah, 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 in 2016, uh, PlayStation, VR, all that kind of gubbins. It came out on iOS in 2017 and then Switch and Xbox One on 2018 sometime. And honestly, it's one of those games that I feel like any platform that comes out, like a, um, Another World, any platform that comes out in the future should get a Darkest Dungeon port. I think. But... I was going to say Plants vs. Zombies, but yeah, mm -hmm. Another World works. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Plants vs. Sorry, Dave. Plants vs. Zombies or Another World. <laughs> <laughs> or Out of This World, you could say. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it's it's reasonably it's reasonably new in the grand scheme of things. Re reasonably, if you're old like us, it is. 
Um, I guess that is something that should be said. If you're into Lovecraft or any of the cosmic mythos stuff, like your Robert Chambers and things like that, this is not directly related. Like, it's not in mythos. You're not going to run into, you know, Dagon or anything. But uh, all of it is drawn almost exclusively from that era of horror. So if you're really big into that, like Craig is, mm-hmm. um, you'll notice a lot of stuff that's like nice little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know what I mean kind of things. Um, Ob- that that really... Obviously. So into that kind of horror, you know, with all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, Bloodborne, your favorite game of all time, I believe. I do. <laughs> Like, as an aside, out of all of those types of games, <laughs> Bloodborne is the one that I want to like the most in playthrough. But, yeah. Um, We've waffled back successful. and forth on whether or not to do one of those for the show. I think I'm going to have to cut a deal to where we'll do one of those and then we'll do another point-and-click adventure game. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll have to figure it out at some point. But that is completely different. So... Uh, Craig, what is your history with Darkest Dungeon? Um, I've been playing Darkest Dungeon on and off for many a moon now. Many, many a moon. So I, I got it when it first, or when it when it first came out on iOS was the first time I bought it. And so that was 2017. And played it through, loved it. It's the perfect, at the time, I thought this is the perfect kind of big game that makes it through to a touch screen because you tap and you tap and you tap. It it it's a great interface for it. Um, after that, I got it on PlayStation and played through it again for this. And yeah, it's been a constant thing in my life, which is weird. It's. It's not a pick-up-and-play game. It's not like something that you just pick up and it's a 90-second thing and you go and you're done and that's it. But it's something that you can pick up and play for a wee while and then start again and start again. Like like a good roguelike or something, you can start it again and, yeah. oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this again, I'm going to do it again. But it's a meaty game. At the end of it, you're talking like 60, 70 hours to get through it or something and you're like, oh... Uh, um, that is my entire. Yeah, it history. is. It is strange how in in my brain, I'm kind of the same way. I I have this on the Vita, the PC, mm-hmm. uh, PlayStation, uh, pretty much everywhere. And it in the back of my mind, it's always put into that casual category of like, oh yeah, I, I don't have to think about this. I can pick it up. But this is a game that if you pick it up in a casual way, will kick you straight in the nuts oh, and say, what are you doing? You take me seriously. So it is strange how it kind of exists in both spaces at the same time mm-hmm. um the first time i play actually wow uh this was a while ago uh the first time i ever heard about this was i watched uh extra credits that youtube channel mm-hmm. and they have a thing of uh games you might have missed and most times it's like stuff like you know return of the Ober din or well darkest dungeon or you know just indie uh what was it sunless sea i think was another one on there but uh, it's, it's just a bunch of indie games that may have slipped under the radar or like, hey, these are in development. Keep your eye on these. Um, and the moment I saw Darkest Dungeons, I was like, well, I don't know what that is, but I, I need that. So I picked it up at launch, I think. I think it was at launch. And um, it took over my life exclusively for a long time. Like, And your first time playing it. Well, you know what? Let's save that for later. But yeah. uh, I ended up spending like like 60 hours on it. And getting to the end boss, and I have this thing with games that I really enjoy. 
I will do everything before I finish it and then get to the end and be like, ah, oh, but I don't want to put this away yet. So I got to the, we'll just say the ancestor, mm-hmm. wiped my party and deleted my save and then started again. And I did that like two or three times because I don't want to finish it yet. I don't want to finish it yet. And then, like you, you put it down for a long time. And then the PS4 version came out. And I'm like, well, I would love to play this on the TV. And it's got the DLC with it. Sure, I'll, I'll shoot for it again. And uh, that that's what I f- finally finished it on was mm-hmm. PS4. Uh, we normally have a spot here for uh, whoever picks this. And like, why did you pick it? Uh, I don't think I need to expound on that at all here because <laughs> in the next like hour and a half you will have a very good reason why we picked this uh so craig here comes the interesting part how do we start talking about this in terms of mechanics oh it's rough it's rough because like our normal format is first episode we will talk about mechanics and we will just leave the story until the second episode but there's this kind of like fine bloodline of what is a mechanic here and what is a spoilery mechanic. It's all about the mechanics. It's all about how it plays and how you get through it. So it's rough, isn't it? Uh, One of the things that always makes me appreciate a game is uh, a lot of our, I've said it before, a lot of our our language about video games is drawing comparisons. I'm like, oh yeah, that's like Pac-Man except Mm -hmm. you're a paint roller. Or, you know, that's like Grand Theft Auto... Saints Row, you know, that kind of... We can draw comparisons. Oh, I know exactly what that game plays like. This is one of those rare ones where you really have nothing to compare it to, or at least I don't. If there is something, listener, let me know, because that would be really cool. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, I can't say, hey, this is like, uh, except here's the twist. No, uh, this is very original in its, its uh, gameplay flow. So when the game starts, I guess we might as well start there. It's a good place. Mm-hmm. You're given two heroes, uh, Dismas and Reynald, and they are good, good boys. They are. They're my bros. Uh, They are the only two characters that aren't randomized in the game. You always have a Dismas and you always have a Reynald. Craig, first question. Are you a Reynald or a Dismas guy? Uh, Normally, Reynald guy. In fact, previously in everything, Reynald guy has always been there. But... um, Unfortunately, he met a sad end in the the, the most recent playthrough. So I'm just going to go and say I'm a Dismas guy because he 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 made it through. I also uh, uh, my Reynold uh, died a very ignoble death. Uh, I want to yeah. say it was probably maggots or hunger or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, Dismas made it all the way to the end for me. Uh, that's because he is a real champ. All right, so. You start with these two, and the way the game plays in its battle form. Uh, Craig, why don't you take over? I've been talking a lot. Uh, how does it play in its battle form? Um, so you're you're talking kind of turn-based, usual turn-based stuff. You have got, um, on the left, you've got your party of two, two at the moment. So you've got Reynold and Dismas, and you encounter certain enemies along the way. You can pick your move, if it's a long-range move, if it's a short-range move, if it's uh, damage over time or anything, and you just basically turn about your way through this first part. It's kind of, from the offset, quite terrifying. Like, I found it, I remember the first time I played it, I found it quite intimidating from the very, very, very first battle, because 
your control between battles is very kind of like tame and timid. You just move right. You just you're always moving. Yeah, right. you don't ever move left. I mean, no. if you want to go left, you your characters back up. They don't turn around yeah, and go the yeah. other way. And if you back up, they complain and they get stressed. Yes, yes they do. <laughs> <laughs> so you're always moving right, and you just it's, on a two D plane. You're moving right. Something jumps out, and then you are into turn based. You pick, you can see wee panels, you've got panels for the damage that you're going to affect of any enemy weaknesses, and it's kind of traditional, it's traditional turn-based theory, really well implemented. Yeah, it, it almost feels like you're playing a game that should be played with dice. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like a miniatures game, almost. Um, now, that would be kind of boring if it didn't have some of the twists that darkest dungeon um really i almost said the twist that it puts a spin on oh, wow. um wow. yeah that's a, that's Those a cancel the twist other, right? that it, <laughs> yes it does don't not not say that <laughs> um the twist that it puts on your standard turn-based battles uh, number one would be the torch and in the beginning when you're a new player the torch is always at max Mm-mm-mm. Always at max. Um, and what this does is as the torch light dies, it has certain break points. So like at uh, its numerical value. So like at 75, the light is not radiant, I think it's called. And then yep. it's like uh, normal and then dim and then darkest. Uh, every time it hits one of those break points, things change. When the light is very bright, you have an extra chance to surprise the enemy, giving you a free turn. You have an extra chance to avoid critical hits, a uh, bunch of these things. But there's also negatives, as in you get less loot. Uh, you have less of a chance to crit. And as the light gets darker, those things kind of change places, where when you're at your darkest, you get extra loot. Uh, you have a higher chance to crit, but so do the enemies. Uh, You have more of a chance of being surprised, things like that. So when you're first starting, light is always at maximum because it's very heavily weighted in your favor. Um, Craig, do you play at like uh, 50, 75%? Honestly. Torch? The way it plays out is you start building um, like a a certain confidence. You get your your party together and you, you know what you're doing and you're in there and... You're attacking an area where you know that your party is um, strong, and so you think, "Do I need? Do I need all the torches to start dimming things down?" By the end of the game, I was running through it with no torches. It's <laughs> just like well, <laughs> very go <for> nice. <laughs> um, but it, it, at the start, you you very much you you really need those torches because you need that. It's like a wee mini buffer. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, like it, it's it's one of the few things this does that slightly tilt things in your favor. Of like, mm-hmm. look, if you're new here, play with the high torch. Uh, second twist is the one that I have a love hate relationship with, and that is the stress system. Oh, uh, the stress system is kind of the backbone of this game. It really is. So as you go through the dungeon, um, there are certain things that will give you stress. You'll have certain enemies. That their attacks don't do much damage, but they do stress Mm -hmm. damage. And it's a nice little chunky bar underneath your health bar for each character. As stress continues to grow, things will start to happen to your character. Um, Once it gets to 100, 
they have uh what is it called is it called like a character moment or something where yeah. uh you have depending on your class but let's say for sake of argument 50 50 they can either get a good quirk or a bad quirk uh a good quirk can save your party because then your your uh, your character becomes almost like a champion, where you know they're encouraging their other party members, and they're they're making big old hits on things. Focus. Uh, the opposite. Focus. Yeah, there you go. The opposite. Mm. Craig, why don't you take the opposite and what happens? Yeah. And so quickly goes. The opposite can be anything from um, and and it isn't a terminology that's used in the game, but something like suicidal or something like. Repentant or something something that means that... Bloodthirsty. Bloodthirsty. You try and heal the character and the character will actively refuse being healed by your healer. Or when they go to take a turn, they will instantly use a particular move or a, a, a move from their moveset that kind of mucks up your tactics. If you've got a party built for a certain thing and one of your characters goes rogue, this is why it goes rogue. And it's horrific because it can result in party wipes it can result in permadeath which is a thing obviously uh it's it's a horror show at times the first time it happens you're like no uh yeah uh, and and some can be worse than others like uh if your flagellant gets a certain one oh that actually plays to his character strength so that's fine you know the bleed and the healing that's fine then you can have things like um where your your Vestal, which is the healer, we'll talk about classes later. Yeah. But your Vestal will get uh, what is it called? I think it's Hagiomania. Oh where yeah. Where yeah. you're you're being obsessed with being a saint, and so any kind of holy relic, good holy or bad holy, yeah. they will interact with, which leads to just a terrible chain reaction of oh now she's poisoned, oh now she uh-huh. has leprosy, oh yeah. na- you know that kind of stuff. Ah, uh, and then the worst I think are the ones that take an active effect in battle, like the ones you said, or uh, mm-hmm. abusive. To where you'll have one character constantly abusing, verbally abusing your other characters, and which stresses them out, which leads to a chain reaction. Yeah. Uh, you also have ones where they'll actually get violent towards their party members and just smack them at the beginning of their turn. And you're like, don't hit Dismas. He's, he's mm-hmm. a good guy. Um, you, so, cannot, yeah. you, can't, you can't underestimate the stress in this game. In, in terms of the mechanic of stress, the stress is worse than the health when it comes to knock-on effects. One person gets stressed and another person... And before you know it, your party just crumbles with stress. It's, it's a oh, really... Uh, well, to make matters worse, so once you've hit that break, first break point of 100, that's what happens. And then you're like, well, okay, I can deal with this. This is fine. And if they keep gathering stress... Uh, once they hit 200, the character has a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And a heart attack is not an instant death, thank God. Because uh, that would make the darkest dungeons very hard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, a heart attack is your character loses 100% of their health and they're at death's door. We'll talk about death's door right after this. Um, so it, it's not something you can prepare for no matter what you've done beforehand, no matter what buffs, whatever you've done. Boom, it is from... a Either 25% down to zero, 100% down to zero, it doesn't matter. The moment they have a heart attack, health bar gone. Now, why that's so scary is because of the death door mechanic in this. 
which is when your character is at 0% health. Uh, every class has a different percentage, and it's something you can change with equipment. But uh, you're either invincible or you're perma-dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whenever a character hits you, let's say you have a 25% risk, resist to that store. Um, they have their percentage. I think this is how it works. Correct me if I'm wrong, Craig, or anybody else. Every time you get hit on death's door, you have a percentage to be dead. And it's just that simple. It could be the tick of a DOT. It could be even a stress move that doesn't do any damage. It could be anything. And yeah. so you'll have these really cool hero moments. I'm sorry, Craig, were you going to say something? No, I've, no, no, no. no. I've, I was just going to say you're you're absolutely on point and you, And this is a complete side tangent to the horror show that is RNG and generally being... <laughs> And that, like, like this is a complete aside, but you can feel like the unluckiest person in the entire world. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like it's like missing a shot at eighty five percent in XCOM. Like yeah. no, no. Yeah. Um. um but it, it can dead. also lead to these really cool tank moments where a character's on death's door and takes four hits in a row to then kill the monster, and you're done. Mm-hmm. I've had I had a couple times where you know guys on Death Star is like, well, I guess I'm losing my man at arms, and then he mm-hmm. beast modes it and makes it okay out of the dungeon. Uh, I was a little stressed out after that though, so he needs to spend some time in the Abbey. But he made it out of the dungeon, so that's really cool. Um, the other big mechanic I want to talk about, and this is the one that I think is a great idea, but I think it's not perfect as implemented. And that is the inventory system. So, Craig, you're a man that likes nice, orderly mm-hmm. preparation for things. Why don't you explain uh, um, the process? I've got used to inventory management over the years and various things. It is, it's a particularly challenging thing with this because you always think you can carry more, but you can't. Inventory management in this is you've only got a certain amount of slots. You have items that you need to take. If you're on a medium or a long dungeon, you're wanting to take some campfires, which take up a slot. You need torches, um, which stack, but only to a certain amount. So I think it's eight for torches. You get eight torches. If you want to take 16, it's two eight slots in your inventory. And all of the potions and things that mitigate any damage over time or anything, all count as slots. But when you're in a dungeon, you also want to be collecting, you know, like loot, because loot is the thing that makes the world turn round. So there's a delicate balance between, or not a de- it's not a balance, it's a gamble between what you take <laughs> and what you want to pick up. And a hundred times out of a hundred, at some point in a dungeon, you're going to be like, do I want that stack of 3,000 gold? Or do I want this one bust of of something? It's <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's so 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 limiting. I I suppose I didn't like it at first because I always thought you should be able to carry more. If you could carry more, this game would be much easier. It would go go by quicker. It would be fair, blah. But I think it's at that sweet spot where you just have to make some tough calls and you'll get through. 
Well, some of my problem with it, oh, uh, this also leads to situations where the game knows exactly what you're doing. And I love a game that makes you think, do you know what I'm doing? <laughs> uh, where where you'll have some loot in front of you. It's like, oh, look, some busts. There's some crests. All right, I'll take those. Oh, I don't need the shovel. I'm almost at the end. Then you walk <laughs> through a door and bam, there's a wall. You're like, you yep. son of a bitch. Um, and we'll get to what some of those obstacles mean. Uh, my only problem was in some cases that classes will have something that obviate a inventory item. Mm-hmm. So if you bring a plague doctor, you really don't need to bring bandages and you don't need to bring antivenoms because the plague doctor can take care of those. But there's not really like a guy who has uh, a move that works like the shovel or somebody that has a move that yeah. works like holy water things like that they like the vestal could have had something a character trait that let her interact with those things mm-hmm. uh I, I, I guess should explain that too but go ahead craig yeah no that was just like a really good example of that and something that i only learned this time round was i had a grave robber which is a class a grave robber in my party and one of the obstacles or things that you can interact with in the world is a grave and I thought, well, I don't need to use a shovel for this because I've got my grave robber. My grave robber can just deal with this. The grave robber can still get messed up by digging a grave. So you you need the extra items, and it it, it kind of it's a it's a tiny loose thread in the whole thing that just makes me think, oh, I should have been able. Yeah, to like, like if you could have had something like, okay, I don't have room to bring shovels, but I'll bring a grave robber. Mm-hmm. That would work out great. It would, I guess, give you more reason to diversify your uh, your roster. Uh, So what Craig just mentioned about interacting with the grid. So you'll run across these things called curios. And they could be anything from a cart of human bodies Mm -hmm. to a grave to a holy relic to whatever. Um, And you can interact with these. And every time you interact with them... There's a chance that like 50% chance you'll catch a disease or 10% chance you'll get gold. And so a lot of times it's like, uh, okay, I'll gamble for it. Uh, items obviate this. So if you run across, you know, a cart of human meat and you're like, well, look, we need food. Uh, if you use the herbs on it, it cleanses it and then you can use the food. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If you don't. Well, I know we've spoken about this before, but it's herbs. Herbs. Okay, so you use the herbs, and then you can take this food. Now, the cool thing about the herbs is that <laughs> there's <laughs> there's also an in-battle use for every one of these items. So uh, the herbs can be used to take off a debuff, and the holy water can be used as a buff. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's one other one that I can't think of right now because we're, we're recording and your brain goes blank. But... So most of the game is a gamble of, mm-hmm. do I stack up on these so I can interact with all these curios? Or do I leave this blank because I want to take home some of the, the crests, the busts, the deeds, things like that? And like you said, it, it's not really a balancing act. It's well, it's a balancing act in the same way Russian roulette is a balancing <laughs> act yeah. between you being dead and you being not dead. Um, it's- so yeah, it, it's very interesting. It it really is, and and it plays into the tactics of how you attack a level as well, because at the start, I was taking things, I was going for loot, I want loot, I want to build up my town, blah, 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 but by the end of it, 
I was always making sure that I had eight holy water because if you know you're getting into a boss room, you knock each each of your characters up with holy water and you have got great, great, great buffs going into that fight. So part of my tactic to get through the whole game was have holy water for just that. And it's... But not everyone, not everyone will have that. I don't know. Did you do anything like that, Dave? Like, uh, I always bring four holy water if mm-hmm. I'm going after a boss, just for that. And plus, you know, you can interact with those holy statues, which can remove a quirk, and you're yeah. like, "This is great." Um, the main thing that I stacked up on was uh, er, her, herbs, herbs, uh, herbs, <laughs> uh, because uh, I use the flagellant a lot okay. because he is a boss. And every time you, well, you know what happens when you use a specific move, he gets a debuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can use the herbs to take off that debuff, so he can do it one after another. Wow. See, I, I, this is getting too classy, as in talking about classies. But I, <laughs> yeah, only, I was gonna say we're far from classy, oh, old we're boy. Far, far from classy. <laughs> I only used him to get him up to level six for some trophy, and then just ditched. And then see, like, the major backbone of my entire roster was uh, the Flagellant, the Hellion, and the Leper. Like, the, one of those guys was in every part. And oddly enough, MVP of this run was, like, the Plague Doctor. I never really used him that much before. But, mm, that guy is, mwah, or I should say, that woman is, mwah. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't get on with the Plague Doctor. I've never got on with the Plague Doctor. Oh, ever. Uh, well, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to classes. Uh so while you're doing all of this inventory juggling, you're doing all of this stress juggling, don't forget you can just die by losing all your health. Mm-hmm. So you're doing all of this health juggling. Uh, and then you have to do all of the, the juggling that comes with the inventory when it comes to do you want relics or do you want cash? Because both accomplish two very different things. Cash is needed to upgrade your characters uh, mm-hmm. in terms of their weapons, their move sets. Uh, to pay for if they need to spend the night at the tavern, don't ever do that, or the abbey. Uh, and then relics are used to upgrade your buildings. Uh, we'll talk about the buildings in just a second, but we'll leave it at that. Just, just and as, then as a as a tip, top tip, take the relics, take all the relics, just just take the relics. Oh, um, I might I might disagree. There were a lot of times I substituted out relics for cash. Oh. Yeah, oof, indeed. Boy, oof. it's like we're two different people here. Oh, right? yeah. Um, <laughs> What's going on? And the last thing you really have to juggle in battle is... Well, that's not the last thing. Uh, is things have certain stack limits. You can't... Like uh, Craig said, he brought eight holy waters. That takes mm-hmm. up one inventory slot. But as soon as you get nine holy waters, it's now taking up two slots. It's not a pounds. It, it's, it's all very slot related so when you go on a long dungeon and like craig said you have your two campfires which are very useful but they're taking up two slots and you know maybe you want nine torches for this run but if i squeak it back to eight it's only one slot and uh the problem with relics is they don't stack very high they don't have uh a very high stack count i guess for the best it's like six in some regards, whereas you can carry up to what fifteen hundred gold, I think a sack yeah, without an antiquarian seventeen hundred and fifty, I think. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> ooh, ooh, look at you! So yeah, there's a lot of that juggling going on. Then the last thing you will juggle in combat uh, or dungeon, I should say, when you're actually exploring a dungeon, is 
party placement. And this is the thing that I think once you start playing and you get familiar, this is what suddenly becomes the most important thing. Yeah, it's the um, eye-opening, kind of penny-dropping, oh my god, this is how this works type thing. <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes uh, you can see a class that you didn't like before suddenly excel because, oh, if I do a little bit of dancing, this guy is amazing, like the jester. Uh, so both you and the enemy have four slots. And so, you know, you can have like Crusader in the first slot, Highwayman in the second, Vestal in the third, and Plague Doctor in the fourth. Every character has certain moves that they can only use from certain slots. Like, I mean, it's not like, oh, if you're in the first slot, you can only use this move. There are, most moves are you can use these in the first two slots and these ones in the last two slots. So built in, every class has two different ways to play. Like, dude, I played with a fourth rank man at arms. <laughs> Couldn't hit anything, but the dude can buff like a oh, champion. Yeah, yeah, like buff, 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 buff. Yeah, like that, so... Oh, God. No, I was just going to say, it's another one of the ones where you know what can happen. It doesn't fit in with what you're doing. Like, I never used a man-at-arms, apart from trophy-wise. <laughs> never used. But everyone has a place, and also everyone has a secondary place where they can still affect change and positivity through whatever they can do. It's, it's They can be task. the change they want to see in the world. They can, Yeah, be the change <laughs> you want to be. Or whatever. Uh, so then um, suddenly your party can be shuffled when you're surprised. And if you're like I used to be, which is a very rigid, okay, you belong in this slot, you belong, mm -hmm. this is what I've planned on, that can really throw you for a loop. And you've got to waste turns getting everybody in a position while that skeleton keeps bonking you on the head with, what is it, bump in the night? Yep, bump Stupid in the night. Bump in the bump. night. <laughs> Um, so you also have to take into account that. Now, luckily, this isn't a game, uh, I'm going to compare it to Dark Souls, and I don't want to, but I just did, so let's leave it at that, um, where it is very harsh, this expects a lot from you, but it gives you every opportunity to be prepared for it. So when you're in your character sheet for each character, selecting your moves, because you only have four out of, I think it's what, six or eight? I think it's six. You pick four you can only out bring... of one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. Is it eight? Okay, so you pick four moves out of eight. Uh, there's a little nice little indicator that shows you, okay, these are the slots you'll want this person to be in because it has the most synergy with the moves you've picked. And the same thing goes for camping skills, and we'll talk about camping later. Uh, so every opportunity this game has to where it could shivy in the back, it really doesn't. It wants you to succeed, mm -hmm. but it's not going to give it to you. Uh, so in terms of just, just out of curiosity, did you ever get around with with uh, dancing parties? Or are you kind of a rigid, mm? Oh, no. I By the end of getting through it, I, I kind of, like, my journey, which might be a lot of people's journeys, was this person's in this place, this person is, this, is in this place. But you have to end up being more flexible. Like, you have to have your Crusader, who is your first point of contact there. He's number one in the party line. If he gets bumped to the back, he's got a move in there that will get him forward. So he's got a move that when you're at the back, you can strike anyone and move forward two places. 
and it becomes a game where you need to try and figure out if my party's shuffled, how do I get them back in place while not just moving? You don't want to be skipping a turn. You don't want to be just moving people. You want to be enacting functions. You want to be that, doing something rather than just yeah, moving. When you just move, it feels terrible. It really does. It really, really does. And if you skip a turn, it stresses people as well, which is just it's just like, ah, oh, it's never doing this. So you want everyone to have options. It's about keeping those options open, and that's where your party constitution comes into play. You want you try and figure out if this party shuffled up, they will be fine, but it doesn't work in all situations because that party might be a bleed party or a damage over time party or, or something. It's, there's so much to it. There's so much to <laughs> um, it. Now, a lo- the nice thing about this is everything we've just discussed also affects the enemies. I mean, they don't go home to their little hamlet and have to spend their money, mm-hmm. but all of the party switching, the what slots they're optimal in, all that stuff affects your enemy as well. So if you have uh, archers, like let's say there's some skeleton archers, which are the best archers, um, in the back row, and they're really pegging the hell out of your team, if you have a move that can shuffle them or pull them forward, they're out of position, and now they can't do their most efficacious move. And so then you start to go, okay, well, my party is rigid, but we're all people that can shuffle the enemy, so we should be okay. Uh, there's, it's just another layer on top of all the other. It's like a nice little tiramisu, Craig, mm-hmm. of just so many things to keep in mind. Now, I will say... Not all the things we mentioned do you absolutely have to keep in mind. No. You can shuffle and struggle your way through this. It's not absolutely required, but it's kind of like when you're playing a fighting game and suddenly instead of button mashing, you realize, oh, hey, I just did a combo. Uh, combos in this game, also very fun. Um, so battles, we've talked about how battles play out, and the only thing that uh, I think would have been fun for them to do is you know how the enemies have there's like the large enemies that take up two slots yep, yep. would have been fun to have heroes that take up two slots like maybe the hound master takes up two slots one for him one for his dog or something like that where they're a little beefier than most people but they take up two slots i would have liked to see that so craig you've shuffled your way through the dungeon you've killed all of the bandits and now you're back to your hamlet why don't you explain uh, that w- what the Hamlet does and what you do to interact with it? Yeah, so the Hamlet is your center base of operations, I suppose. In the Hamlet, you have an area that um, incoming recruits go to, so you can recruit new people from it. You have a uh, a few various, a few various, a few things where you can send your heroes to to de-stress or to unwind or to gamble, anything, your, your heroes might not want, they might not be religious heroes, it's baked into it, they might be They might be gamblers, so you need to get them to gamble to de-stress them. You upgrade skills, you upgrade weapons, you can buy trinkets, which are another wee kind of thing that buffs your characters. Your hamlet is your, your centre area operations, and it is... It's HR. It's HR. <laughs> It is. 
And it's it's just a fab wee place. It's depressing. The whole game is depressing. It's particularly depressing because you kind of think, this is what I am fighting for. Is it worth fighting for? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 where everything happens. You can upgrade people, you recruit people, and you de-stress people all in this one place. And it's a great way of doing it. Rather than a menu system, it's, it's a very visual representation of what's going on. I never. It ever... almost feels very visual novelly. Yeah, novelly. Yeah. The way it does it. Yeah, novelly. I never. The one thing that always tripped me up, and I might cut myself out of saying this because it might sound like an idiot, but you've got you know the manor house. You're there to you know like clear out this manor, and there's all these dungeons underneath. the The whole Hamlet bit always. It always felt like if this was real, if this was actually really real. You would end up just burning the whole place and just being like, no, nah, we're not going up there again. Let's just rebuild the town and put a co-op in and it'll be fine. Well, you can't because of what's underneath. They they let it out. They can't just but burn it down. They'll come up. There's only so many holes it can get out. There's only four holes it can get out. But what if it's a shambler, Craig? I mean, oh. they can dig holes, I'm pretty sure. That's true, that's true. Maybe uh, you, I, you know, I was going to be really cool right there and reference the beginning line, but I don't remember. What is it? You remember our house? Uh-huh. Our Maybe I can't remember the rest our, of it. Our grand old home, but not that. <laughs> yeah, he basically sings Home Sweet Home in the beginning. It's very strange. Um, so while you're there doing all of your HR management in your rosters and um, deciding, okay, what, what person gets upgrades, all, all this stuff... Um, like Craig said, you have the equipment end of this, which are uh, in this they're just trinkets because your equipment is set. Like the the highwaymen will always have the pistol and the dagger. Um, I don't. The trinkets can either make a huge difference or a very 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 small difference. Uh, a lot of these uh, they don't unlock skills. They they don't you know do anything massive, but they do do some things that allow classes to play slightly differently. Like, uh, for example, you'll have something for the Vestal that is minus 45% damage, but plus 33% chance to stun. And so all of a sudden, she's gone from just a healer with very weak damage to she's a stun powerhouse, and she can just start stunning things. Um... They don't necessarily change fundamental ways to play, but they open up new avenues of ways to play. Like, uh, I've never played with a bleed highwayman before. Oh, no, I, like, bleed everyone dry. Oh, really? Oh, no, yeah, no, I yeah. was very much a, uh, a riposte highwayman. Honestly, because we're... this is this is a horror show. Like, I'll, I'll admit this just now, but I never, ever used riposte because I never, ever understand what's going on. <laughs> You so, know, it so uh, takes extra steps to get it to work. So I'm like, ah, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just hit everyone. So, so it's an interesting party to work with, right? Because you have like the man at arms, you have the highwayman, you have a healer, which should be the occultist because the occultist has a really cool turban, and then you generally bring the antiquarian, and the antiquarian has that move where she retreats three spaces and then puts a mark on somebody. Oh yeah, yeah. So what you do is you mark the person that has the active riposte going. And so every time they hit somebody, they take damage back. 
and it's basically just a counter team to where you're doing regular damage, but every time the enemy attacks, they also get hit then too. So it's almost the plays the same as a DOT team. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I, I really enjoyed like I finished the game with a repost party. And Dismas was the man that got the last repost. I felt really oh, good about wow. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, won't mention the end boss yet. Nope. Okay, so after you've done your, your HR management, your people are all equipped. They're bright-eyed. They're bushy-tailed. They're like, look, it's a house. It can't be that bad. Then you're like, well, let's pick a dungeon. Uh, you have four different dungeons to choose from with extra mini ones popping up every once in a while. Um, I'd like to talk about these in depth, but not completely in depth to our recover bosses. But uh, do you have a hated area, Craig? Where every time I, you went in, you're like, Ugh. oh, the is it the weld, the the C-shaped squiggly area? Oh, oh, the weld. Uh, yeah, that's the one with the pigs. Oh crap! What's the one with? Was that the one on the right? No, the one on the right. Oh, the cove. Yeah, the with cove. all the sea creatures. Not a fan oh, of the cove. cove is, nope. is is awful. I hate the cove. No. The cove is not each area. Not only like um, if you go to the Warrens, you know you can take a bleed party and and they'll bleed them to death because they are weak. Pigs are weak to blood. Um, the cove seemed to have this oh, extra Craig, ability. That almost sounded very serial killer. Oh, Pigs sorry. are weak to blood. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to be less serial killery. Um, the the cove, the it just felt like. Of the four areas, it was the most tricky to navigate. They seem to be able to stun you more. They are resistant to more. They, they're a bit more tricky. They're very tanky. Yeah. Very tanky. And, um, and they all guard. And they all guard. There's a guard. Guard this, guard that, guard that. And before you know oh, it. Oh, yeah, they do. And they heal. There's uh, also healing there. It's like, oh. Yeah. Uh, if I see one more octocestus pop me in the face, I'm going <laughs> to scream. Uh, yeah, my, my trick for going through the cove was uh, Blight. Mm-hmm. Like, Blight, Blight yeah. wrecks the house. Um, so, the cove, yeah, um, I guess if, if you're not going to play it and you're kind of playing it vicariously through us, uh, the cove is all very sea creature So, you have, you know, weird octopus creatures. You have... Um, like Innsmouth Fishmen, you have a... It just follows that theme. Um, now, you may be thinking to yourself really quick, but Dave and Craig, why would you choose to go into a dungeon you don't want to go in? Because you don't have to. I do want to state that. You don't ever have to go into a dungeon you feel like that you don't, you don't want to. Uh, but it is randomized every time what rewards each dungeon will offer if you complete it. So there may be a trinket that you can really use on your leper, but, ah, crap, it's in the cove. And so you kind of just shuffle off to the cove. Uh, So I think that's a very smart move because otherwise you would have people just running. Like, um, did you level up all your dungeons to max to do all the bosses? Yeah, I I went through it procedurally, as I would, I think. (laughs) By this point, this is just me. I just went through it. Um, yeah, yeah. Since since most heroes have the heroes I was using at the time have a bonus to unholy. I like ruins was like hundred percent before everything else was. Um, sorry. So next we have the ruins. Might as well talk about the ruins. The ruins. Ah, uh, Craig, explain the ruins. What ones are ruins? It's a very good point. They're uh, old buildings that have fallen down. Okay, <laughs> moving on to the warrens. <laughs> Um, the Warrens of Pigs. Um, what one's the one at the bottom? 
Well, hold on, hold on. Explain, explain, like, like what makes the ruins different than the cove, or you know, what the aesthetics are, things like that. Oh, so like, okay, so of the four areas, the Warrens are the ones with the pigs, the pig people, and it's to me, it's the the freakiest one because like the cove is like, oh, they're sea creatures, and the other one at the bottom is like, yeah, they're on the road. It's half humans, half dead people, and all this kind of stuff, but. The pig people get me in a wee bit of a weird way. Like, I'd really, it really grosses What, in terms of creature design? Yeah, yeah. Like, I just, I don't Oh, they're like really good. Yeah. The, the, the little guys that stand on their arms but have the human oh, face off yeah. to the. Oh, it is. Uh, that's something that I do want to say. The creature design in this is top notch. I mean, the bosses are really good. Like, I love the Swine King, mm-hmm. but like, even Inclate Flesh. It's really good, and, and uh, okay, we'll talk about them later. Yep. Uh, yeah, the the monster design in this ranges from in the ruins. You have skeletons, mm-hmm. skeletons with crossbows, skeletons wearing fancy conquistador helmets, uh, yep. gargoyles, things like that. Just your your almost standard undead enemies and madmen, and they can rot in hell. <laughs> uh, uh, in the warrens, uh, it's it's all very bestial uh things are beast related mostly pig so you have pig guys and you have little pig guys that used to be humans that are kind of mutated it really cool design uh the trick with the warrants i keep forgetting if it's a warrants or the wield uh the warrants is you will get a lot of diseases there because of how filthy those filthy filthy oh, pigs are yeah everything they one of the prime moves they have is just to be sick on you and when they are, yep. you will catch something, and you're like, ah, oh. probably best mention. Every time you go to a dungeon, it's a week in game terms. So, oh yes, you go for a dungeon. It it's one week of game, and if you catch a disease from pig sick, it's another week to then heal that or or you know like um, cure. That's the word. Cure that back. In the hamlet, so it's it's juggling. You might have to end up juggling two, three, four teams worth of people because when one is out fighting, the other one is healing, and the other one is being de-stressed, and it it becomes this kind of like circular flow of dungeon crawling. It's it's really good. <laughs> I, I, I don't know any other way to put it, but it's it's, it's very cool like that. I'm pretty sure in the warrants, my leper contracted leprosy, which I think <laughs> is just kicking a man while he's down. Um, we'll talk about diseases and quirks and perks uh, later on, a little bit later on. Uh, so then you have the wield, and uh, the wield is one that I always struggle in, in terms of the gameplay, uh, mainly because of that big guy with the tree that just oh, yeah. smacks the ever-loving hell out of your guys. Yeah. Um, but- that's where like a party a party build that you can have is a strict shuffling party build. You can shuffle people about and it's not about causing damage, it's just about making sure they can't cause damage. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's that's where it comes into like it's good. Now keep in mind the enemies also have move resist, so yeah. it's not always guaranteed. And oh, the yeah. one time you're like, all right, I need that big guy to move, and he doesn't move. You're uh, like, ah, oh, crap. Oh, the the uh, dice are always against you, a hundred percent. Like I'm sure. 
it feels like they really are. Yeah. Um, it's it's like there's five sides and then a middle finger, and it <laughs> yeah. rolls on that middle finger way too often. Uh, so the wield is very naturalistic. It's overgrown. Think um, like the word would be fecundity. Uh, so like lots of mushrooms and overgrowth, and people are like have fungus growing mm-hmm. on them. It's and, the last uh, of yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It's The Last of Us, except this has those weird, like, skeletons in jelly. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, I really like those guy. guys. Yeah. Those guys are cool. Um, And then the last area, or did we hit them all? Well, we didn't hit them all. The last area is the darkest dungeon, mm-hmm. and that's what you're working all the way towards. Try to get your people leveled up, uh, because if you take in... Craig, I'm sure you've done this. Have you taken in a level one party into the Darkest Dungeon? Yeah, yeah. For a fact, when you're in um, your hamlet and you put your party together and you even hover over the Darkest Dungeon, (laughs) the the wee speech bubbles pop up. No, no, not me. I can't take this. This is too much. Nope, nope, nope. And then you pop them in there anyway and the stress goes through the roof. Oh, uh, that is that it, that is something we didn't mention. That's really nice about adding character to almost a characterless game, especially with randomly generated people. Is the way your party intertalks with one another. So while you're on the selection screen, they'll make you know little comments about each other. Or when you're getting ready to go into the dungeon, one will be like, "Yeah, I'm ready to go," and the other one will be like, "Oh, please, not again." Mm-hmm. You know, uh, even in battle, you, there are little speech bubbles that pop up. It's not actual voice lines so it, it's really nice to add little bits of character to things that really shouldn't have character yeah uh okay so we talked about that boy we're already in an hour okay oh my god uh so let's let's head on back to the hamlet because we just finished our first run and here let's talk about uh aftercare i guess would be the best way to put it like you uh craig mentioned the stress but there's also uh, things called diseases and negative quirks and then just quirks. Now, we've talked about negative quirks, so they can be things like masochistic or sadistic or bloodthirsty, you know, those kind of things. Uh, positive quirks are kind of the same, but literally the opposite end of the coin of like uh, eldritch hater. And they'll suddenly start doing more damage to eldritch beasts or creatures, I guess. Or you'll have, you know, um, I can't think of another one. I mean, there's like the Eldritch Unholy Beast and, you know, all those. Can't think of another one. There's lots. But well, there, there's 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 lots. Um, not so much to where you won't ever see copies, but enough to where you're going to Google what some of those words mean. Mm-hmm. And then you have diseases. And diseases are the killer, man. Oh, because if you go through and your, your leper, which is a, a character we'll discuss later. I keep saying that. Um, if he gets something called the yips, uh, it's like 15, minus 15 accuracy. And oh. on an already low accuracy character, that pretty much just cripples that character. So now you have to, if the slot's open, you have to spend money and time to cure what might be a backbone of your team. Mm-hmm. And that's where hiring multiples of different classes come in. So like, okay, this leper's out, but I can switch in the man-at-arms. Uh, once a week, so every time you complete a dungeon, you get a caravan shipment. And it's... What is it at first? Is it three? It may be or is two. it two? I think it's two. Yeah, because it's the Vestal and the, mm-hmm. the Plague Doctor the first yep. week. Yeah, so um, 
unupgraded, you get two new heroes per week. And I think this is a really smart design move, right? Because this means even if you're stuck with no money, uh, nobody, everybody's stressed out, nobody can go in, you can hire these newbies to just do a run to progress the week, and it won't cost you anything. If it's upgraded, should say. So it's a, it almost feels like something they put in to make sure you can never get to an unwinnable state. It can feel unwinnable. I had runs where it feels unwinnable, but it is technically you can work through it. Okay, well, you know, I find honesty is the best policy. So, uh, dear listener, uh, you may uh, see a jump cut there where we had to take a momentary break because Craig's house was on fire. <laughs> uh, so we kind of forgot where we were. But we remember we were talking about diseases. I remember I mentioned the yips. Uh, keep in mind, this was approximately what, Craig, three minutes ago? It was. Three to five minutes uh, ago. Yeah, so we already forgotten by this point. I do remember mentioning the yips, which means, Craig, do you know what the yips are? I actually Googled it. I'm, I don't know what the yips are. In my head, it's some sort of kind of like respiratory thing where you kick up. Now, th- th- see, that's what I thought. But the yips are actually a, a, a sports-related psychological thing oh. where your hands get the shakes whenever you have to perform oh. uh, any kind of, like, not intricate, but uh, like golf. You know, you, you got to hit this birdie, mm-hmm. and then you start getting the shakes. That's the yips! I didn't know oh, that. I didn't know that either, but that makes complete sense in the context of it Darkest does. Dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> so not only is this game great, it is also educational. Now, I want to. I think we've covered everything we want to cover mechanically, which is a long time. So, what I would like to end this episode with is uh, just a couple questions about how you feel about the aesthetics of it as a whole. Um, the narrator. Mm-hmm. Not only did God come down and touch this man's throat, <laughs> kind of like the Bastion one. Uh-huh. Oh, there's a question for you. Mm. Okay, so we have. We have not played, well, we've played three games, but not for the show, uh, with very prominent narrators in them. Your choices are Darkest Dungeon Guy, which I believe his name is Wayne June. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have Queen Latifah from Sinar so, Wild Hearts. Yep. And then we have the Bastion Guy. If you were going to have one of them read you a bedtime story, Craig, who do you choose? Oh, dear God, Queen Latifah. <laughs> you know... You know, she does have a very nice voice. She did a great job. I kind of went that way. But I listen to horror stories when I go to sleep. Okay, yeah. So I might have to go with Darkest Dungeon yeah. Guy because he has, since then, he's read some Lovecraft books as I, a narrator. And it's like, oh, mwah. You know, I, I don't want, he's great. Um, Queen Latifah is great in Sign of Wild Hearts. It just, it makes sense to have her narrate that. The Bastion Guy is great. It sounds amazing. When he's talking, this guy sounds great. It sounds like a horror-filled nightmare from the start. It sounds like your uncle is writing you a letter to get you know, like it. They're all great, but of the, the three, man sounds like he ate gravel since childbirth. Yeah, but of the three, and this is like an off-the-cuff observation, but I don't think you get enough of the Bastion guy. I think you get just the right amount Ooh. of Queen Latifah. And I think you get too much Darkest Dungeon Man. I think the lines come hard and heavy when you're performing particular combos or you you get an affliction and the same lines start repeating more 
and darkest dungeon. Um, yeah, if you run a DOT team, mm-hmm. you're going to really hear about uh, slowly, uh-huh. gently. Slowly. This is how you take a life. Yeah. About 3,000 times. Now, this is something I noticed. Um, I didn't get tired of it, but I did tune it out mm-hmm. after a while. I, th- I think that is another thing that really adds to how special this game is, just because that's a very small category of like games with omniscient narrators. Yeah. And it makes sense story-wise why the guy's there. But, yeah, I, I think I think they need a little bit more variety Yeah, it in was, the lines. It was, it was the DOT deaths that really got me in the end. More than anything, because if you run a bleed team, you just hear it constantly. It's like, slurry, slurry. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, mate, I've heard it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think it ever hits the point of being obtrusive, no. but it does ride right up against that line at times. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's always cool when you hear a new line. You're like, oh, oh, it's, it's mm-hmm. a new line. And The man said a new line. On, on, I could listen to the guy because every boss has a story behind it. A boss is oh. his investigation into the dungeons and his story behind, you know, like, why he ended up creating or summoning this demon pig disgusting thing and it's like oh like pins and needles on my arms right now awesome um the one the one that uh, the first one i a boss i hit was uh the necromancer's apprentice mm-hmm. and he has that line about something that could be seen from the twitching in the leg of a dead rat and it's like oh the way you read that line uh-huh. sir you deserve all the awards. It is amazing. Um, yeah, so so what is there is good, but there's not enough there, I guess, is where mm-hmm. I'm going to come down on it. Um, now, uh, one thing that's took me by surprise is how little animation is in this game. Oh, there's, there's barely any. It, it, each party member and each enemy type or each class or in each enemy type must have a a walking cycle, they've got an attack animation which is maybe three frames of fuchu and then back to normal. And then Yeah, the, yeah, it's it's like beginning, yeah, sometimes a middle, and, and then your ending. And, and, end. and they've also got a defensive recoil um animation or frame, which is oh yeah. you've just spat on me, pig gads. Um and that's that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, I mean, you got you, you can tell this was done by a small team because yeah, there are idle animations, but you never see the monsters walk. No, ever. It, it's all very Spartan in how it delivers this animation. Mm-hmm. I really, I, kind I really of like it. Like it. Okay, right. <laughs> we're, we're on the same page. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I, I really, really like it. I think it's the core of this game and the time that they've spent on balancing so many classes and so many enemy types and so many different ways that you can load up your team, it just, it reeks of a really well sewn together game. So when it comes down to animation, you're like, nah, I could be playing a text-based game here, but it's brilliant. Now, I don't think, um, because I'm not one of, well, those old guys that's constantly touting graphics don't matter. Graphics absolutely matter in a game. 
uh, animation quality matters, model quality oh, matters. Dave, just wait till you um, play Detroit. It's amazing looking. Good old Connor. Oh, Connor. <laughs> Daughter loves Connor. Like, like, read slash fix about Connor loves Connor. Connor is Very basically Jaden from Heavy Rain. It's the same person. I was going to say, Connor is basically Jesus. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll talk about our slash fic Connor love <laughs> later on. Uh, <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I'm not with those people that say animation doesn't matter. Boy, golly, we got away with pixels. It doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it matters completely. Where it matters the most is in horror. Because while horror in other things such as uh, if you're listening to an audiobook or you're watching a movie or even reading a book if they don't show the monster that's fine if you don't show the monster in a game it feels cheap like uh imagine going through resident evil 2 craig and you never saw mr x oh, yeah, you yeah. just heard him coming it would it would feel cheap uh so graphics are incredibly important to the horror genre and what this lacks in animation, it really makes up for in art style. Uh, if you've never seen this game, it looks almost like a Mike Mignola Hellboy comic in terms of its art design. It's really cool looking. Everything looks like it was drawn with a quill pen. And not in that over-animated, you see sketch marks kind of way. It's just, uh, there's never been a game that looked like this design-wise. So, Craig. I, I hold it in uh, the same unique regard that I do something like Cuphead. It's just something that's so... Yeah, that's a good uh, good comparison. It, yeah, it, they're not visually similar, but the, the, the love and care and attention and detail that's went into it to give it uh, an aesthetic is so well done that you just look at it and you go this is this is fab <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean i mean um you can say this about a bunch of games i guess but in this one it seems like if they didn't nail that art aesthetic this game would be lesser mm-hmm. like if it was like generic military guys even time appropriate generic military guys nah it, it just wouldn't hold that same not nah. Mystique. This is that it this does. is a whole bundle thing. It's your narrator. It's the the art style. It's everything is plugged into really solid mechanics, and it wouldn't work if you went for oh we're gonna do like army guys <laughs> like plastic army. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's not gonna work. And for some some games it does work. It doesn't matter about the look. The game plays well. It plays well. It's great. For this, it's all in one. It's it's just, it's just absolutely essential. It really is. Agreed. Yeah. Um, we're, we're switching gears here, but there's a couple of questions I want to get out of the way before we switch over to the next episode. Uh, number one is, you are on the record, sir. Uh, if you could please get up on the, the witness stand. Oh, dear God. What have I said? All right. You are on the record, sir. I'm not a big city lawyer, but I do recall you having said on the record that you do not like... The roguelikes. Uh-huh. Now, this game does share a lot with these roguelikes, you see. Uh, so, I was wondering, sir, how, how do you feel about the permadeath? Okay, so permadeath in this is great. You are constantly <laughs> recruiting people in. You can upgrade your recruits so you might get leveled up recruits. It doesn't... It never feels like 
I'm starting again. It always just feels like I'm just constantly chipping away at this. There's this big boulder and we're just chipping away at this big boulder. It's never, oh, the boulder reappears and it's a full boulder again. That's the thing that gets me with roguelikes. I've downloaded, um, apparently one that I might like is Dead Cells because it... Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I can see I, that. So that, I've got that to play next. Um because traditionally, I don't like I don't like starting again from scratch. I never like starting again from scratch. I always feel like even just knowledge of a map isn't enough for me. I like leveling things up. I like doing you know like making prog- actual concrete progress. And you always do with this, even if you just go into a level and you spend a week in a dungeon, just getting some loot. And you escape. You you still have something, you have something tangible from that, from yeah. that run. Or like uh, okay, so game progress um, matters to you in terms of um, like continually having yeah, progress yeah, saved. Yeah, I've, I've, Whereas character stuff doesn't yeah. matter. So it's the XCOM thing. Uh, yeah, okay. I know we're always bringing up XCOM, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's the XCOM. Every thing. week okay. is XCOM right, that's fair. week. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, we're gonna have to do it at some point. Uh, I really like doing that voice, by the way. I need to find more excuses in my mm-hmm. life for being a country southern lawyer. Um, all right, so switching gears yet again. Wait, oh, oh, dumb question. What did you name your estate? Because you get to name your estate in the beginning of this. Oh, oh Dave. Oh, Dave. <laughs> oh, no. I just named mine Darkest because that's what came up. It just get, That's the oh, default. Craig. Oh, I had Craig, a second that's like one. playing the humans in an RTS. I had a second save state that was called trophies, if that makes any difference. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I went with the Raven Hill estate because that was where my uh, WoW character came from. Mm-hmm. Is what I name everything. So uh, we had the Darkest estate and the Raven Hill estate. Um, yours is poop. Yes. Just going to say it right now. You really need I to know. work on your thing. Um so we've talked about it a couple times, and and being a rogue like kind of plays into this. How does the difficulty strike you? Because there's there's a real break point for me, oh. right? Like this this game would be a relaxing game. I could play at any given time if I didn't have to go into those darkest dungeons. Uh-huh. It's an odd one. It's I traditionally don't like difficult difficulty. Doesn't factor into my enjoyment of a game. Like the more difficult it is it's not going to pique my interest. See Super Meat Boy episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, that's that's an exception. But for this, it feels like the difficulty is optimal. It's understanding, it's learning. You learn it inside out and you optimize your teams and you overcome whatever is there. And it's not about how fast you can move your thumbstick or how many buttons you can press at any one time in a certain order. It's always about understanding the game and it's just, I, the complexity of the game is what attracts me to it and I don't mean to sound overly sexual here but I absolutely have a raging hard boner for the difficulty in this (laughs) because of that, because it's not time sensitive, it's not thumb sensitive it's about knowledge sensitive i just love it i love it to bits yeah i I think if i I was thinking about this right and uh this kind of is the polar opposite of the zelda problem 
uh, with the Zelda problem being what we talked about, geez, a couple of years mm -hmm. ago, uh, with the, oh, you can get 20-something hearts, and you can upgrade your equipment, and you can do this, uh, but there's no point to it. It's never that hard. This is has mechanics that require the difficulty. Mm -hmm. And I think, like like you were saying, with the difficulty being kind of a... Um, organic difficulty of it's it's the organic difficulty of monsters uh, your enemies um managing your teams as opposed to you have to do this by week 36 or you die yeah or you have to you know do certain things in time limits uh, i think they made a really good choice on the difficulty of this because if all this was here and then it wasn't a very hard game oh that would be very disappointing to me it really like the first time you lose a, a party member, it's a swift kick in the nuts. The first time you get a party wipe, which you didn't, you dick. It's a swift kick in the nuts. <laughs> um, but it it makes you more determined, and it's it's genius the way it does it because you're bought into it based on that. It's not based on the it's not like overcoming something difficult. It's like you want to get through it and on a journey level. It's it's. I find it really hard to describe, Dave. I really do, because I do not like difficult games. I don't like difficult games. I just don't. I guess the di the difference in this, right, like, is the difficulty is never a wall. The difficulty is a, a 45-degree angle slope. Yeah. And the higher you get, the harder it is to keep going. But it's always the slope. There's never a wham! Until you get to the end. I mean, the the end boss is kind of the end dungeon. <laughs> yeah. But um, until you get to the end, it's very much a slope. You might fall back a little bit, but you're still on the slope. It's never a, well, you have to climb over this wall. Uh, I didn't get a party wipe this time, thankfully. But I will say that you are 100% guaranteed, if this is your first shot, to lose people oh god uh, yeah yeah like like people will die you just accept it it's it was probably the biggest thing for me to overcome the first time i played it was oh my god someone's died do i need to reload my save do i do this that's your first thing right yeah. like your first gut instinct is oh i'll reload yeah. i don't want to lose this guy but no and there is a point where that does happen of like if you get a level six highwayman let us say mm -hmm. and you're like oh i just lost them you really have to argue with yourself yeah. on whether or not you're going to reload. But at the end of the day um, and the worst thing is all of your party members, everyone in here, they're just consumable items. They're just tools. You just you just use them and if they die, oh god, I've lost my spanner. I'll get another spanner. Or I'll adapt. Uh, yeah, and then that is something that's really nice that they also do is when your party members die, you don't lose the gear that was on yeah. them. But... Then you run into the inventory problem room. Like, ah, oh, crap, I didn't expect to have to carry both trinkets mm -hmm. kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the difficulty is almost perfect, mm -hmm. except for the second Darkest Dungeon where it's the size of the entire United States and you got to try to break your way through it. The, <laughs> um, I find that interesting oh, how the, it, the first Darkest Dungeon, you're terrified and you get through it and you're done. The second one kicks you in the balls repeatedly and then they get easier. <laughs> and you're like... Yeah, I, I know, right? Oh, okay. Um, Alright, so on that weird note to end the first Darkest Dungeon on, 
we are going to cut it here and call this episode one. We still have a lot we want to talk about, especially when it comes to classes and bosses and um, some of the, the meta game of this. So if you liked what you heard here, please do go buy it. Uh, it's really good. It's, yeah. I, I don't think you need to even guess what our final thoughts of any of Darkest Dungeon will be. It's amazing. Go and yeah. play. Just go and play it. Just go. Go now. So you can join us next episode when we talk about what I just said we're going to talk about. Um, I'm not going to. Yeah, we're not going to do final thoughts because you obviously know how we feel about this. Um what I will do instead is uh, upcoming. The next big upcoming games are going to be uh, Mike's pick was Detroit Become Human. That Cole Connor thing wasn't out of thin air. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we're going to be doing that. Uh, next, we're going to have Hitman, mm-hmm. the 2016 edition, I guess. Yes. Uh, and then we're going to round off this next group of three with my pick, which is Super Punch-Out and Punch-Out for the Wii. Arguably the best punch-outs out of three. So if you would like to say, hey, guys, um, you picked Detroit. I don't like Detroit. I'd rather you do La Mulana instead. We will go, yes, sir, or ma'am, we can do that instead. So if you have anything you want to suggest, uh, you can use the form that we have on thebiteffect.com and just uh, send us whether you want it to be a Retro Rewind kind of episode or a Bit Effect episode, and we will try to slide it in as fast as we possibly can. Other than that, do we have any more business, Craig, or is that it? I think that's all the business. I can't wait to talk, like, more Darkest Dungeon, to be honest. Yeah, you guys have to wait a week. We wait, like, three minutes. I know. Um, so, uh, thank you very much for listening, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>